Very good morning to all of you on this uh, Good Friday. And for those of you who are visiting us for the very first time, uh, this church on Good Friday, we welcome you. You know, by its name, Good Friday is supposed to be something good. But before we jump too quickly into why Good Friday is good, I want to take us through a journey of pain and deep self-examination so that we can better understand why Jesus, the Son of God himself, had to die on Good Friday. And to help us see the terrible effects of sin, I've chosen a passage uh, from Joshua chapter 7. And I'll be reading from verses 16 to 26. It's a long chapter, but I will just focus on these verses here. Verses 16 to 26. And so Joshua arose early in the morning and brought Israel near by tribes, and the tribe of Judah was taken. He brought the family of Judah near, and he took the family of the Zeratites, and he brought the family of the Zerahites near men by men, and Zebdi was taken. He brought his household near men by men, and Achan, son of Kami, son of Zebdi, son of Zerah, from the tribe of Judah, was taken. And then Joshua said to Achan, My son, I implore you, give glory to God, the God of Israel, and give praise to him, and tell me now, what have you done? Do not hide it from me. So Achan answered Joshua and said, Truly, I have sinned against the Lord, the God of Israel, and this is what I did. When I saw among the spoil a beautiful mantle from Shina and 200 shekels of silver and a bar of gold, 50 shekels in weight, then I coveted them and took them. And behold, they are concealed in the earth inside my tent with the silver underneath it. So Joshua sent messengers and they ran to the tent. And behold, it was he concealed in his tent with the silver underneath it. They took from, took them from inside the tent and brought them to Joshua and to all the sons of Israel, and they poured them out before the Lord. Then Joshua and all Israel with him took Achan, the son of Zerah, the silver, the mantle, the bar of gold, his sons, his daughters, his oxen, his donkeys, his sheep, his tent, and all that belonged to him, and they brought them up to the valley of Acre. And Joshua said, Why have you troubled us? The Lord will trouble you this day. And all Israel stoned them with stones, and they burned them with fire after they had stoned them with stones. They raised over him a great heap of stones that stands to this day. And the Lord turned from the fierceness of his anger. Therefore the name of that place has been called the Valley of Acre to this day. This is the word of God. Come, let us pray. Lord, today remind us of the terrible effects of sin. Give us a fresh vision of the cross and its worst consequence of how humanity crucified Jesus. And so, Lord, we ask for a new heart as we hear your word today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. And so from this uh, passage, we see two terrible effects of sin. First of all, one person's sin can affect the entire community. One person's sin can affect the entire community. Here in Joshua chapter 7, we see the reason why Joshua and the armies of God could not defeat the people of Ai. Logically, there is no reason why Israel couldn't win. If you follow along in this sermon series thus far, you will know that they have just had a great victory at Jericho. And so now this was the next battle. 
And Ai is a very small city with only 12,000 men and women. And the Israelites could have easily defeated them. But instead of a simple victory, they lost 36 men instead. But even then, that's not a lot of people, considering that Israel sent 3,000 people to fight this battle. And so it's just over a percent, one percent. But from Joshua's point of view, this was a serious defeat. And he raised doubts in Joshua's mind. Why would God allow us to be defeated? Didn't God give us all the rich promises that this land will belong to us? And so depressed, Joshua cried out to God. And what did God reply? Joshua, in verse 10, he says, Rise up! Why have you fallen on your face? And then God gave the reason in verse 12. The reason Israel cannot stand cannot stand before the enemies is because they themselves have become accursed. The word accursed in the original Hebrew is the same word used right at the very beginning of this chapter, which I did not read to you, but that's in verse 1, referring to things under the ban, under the New American Standard Bible, that's the translation under the ban. NIV or ESV uses the translation devoted things. But in Hebrew, the actual word is harem. Harem. Sounds like haram. And haram means forbidden in Arabic. Haram, forbidden. And so here in verse 12, God says literally, you lose to your enemies because you yourselves have become haram. Haram. What is forbidden? Now hang on a minute. Is that fair? If you read the whole story, only one man sinned. That's Achan. Yet, the entire community is troubled by him. By the way, an alternative name for Achan, if you look at First Chronicles chapter 2, verse 7, is Aha. And in Hebrew, Aha has the same consonants as the word trouble. So, quite interesting, isn't it? His name means trouble. In fact, even in the kind of dialect, Achan, Achan, his name means trouble. And that is why when Joshua stoned Achan, he said, Why have you troubled us? And the Lord will trouble you this day. And so the valley where Achan was stoned is called also the valley of Achan. And so by his very name, we know that his name means trouble. Now names aside, the key lesson for Joshua chapter 7 is this. Don't ever think that your sin is just between you and God. Don't ever think that your sin is just between you and God. It can affect an entire community. And so if you know of someone who needs help or you yourself need help, please do not feel shy. Please approach us. We'll be glad to just journey with you when whatever situation you're caught in. Now the key point again, don't ever think that your sin is just your personal problem. In Achan's case, his entire family had to pay the price too. They paid the price for his greed. They were stoned alongside with him. And in your family, in your life, your family may have to pay the price, just as this video shows. Pastor Billy, I'm not sure whether you, saw, you heard him properly. He said in a gambler's life, addict's life, it will at least affect eight people. That's the bare minimum. So do seek help as soon as possible. Gambling eats, and I'm sure many of us are aware, into our family's financial well-being. A lot of family violence is linked to alcohol abuse. And pornography leads us down the slippery slope of unhealthy sexual relationships, whether it's fornication, adultery, or spousal abuse. 
And so in the name of God, I urge all of you today, stop sinning. Stop sinning. One person's sin does affect an entire community. Second, one person's sin can infect an entire community as well. Not just affect, but infect an entire community. In this video, we saw Michael's father himself started the gambling habit and he passed on to his son. According to the Bible, we have inherited a sinful human nature from Adam, the very first person God created, and because Adam sinned, all of us have sinned. But sin isn't something that we just simply inherit, something that is beyond our control. No, sinful behavior is often learned, passed on. I was first exposed to pornography thanks to my secondary school friends. One person misleading another, one group misleading another. Think about it. Many of us actually learn the wrong things from others. And in fact, family members are also guilty. Family members can also teach the wrong values, the wrong things, the wrong habits to one another. You know, it may seem very unfair from our modern point of view. Why should Achan's entire family die as a result of one man's sin, his own sin? But from God's point of view, sin is infectious. If Achan was allowed to live, his children would pick up all the wrong values. By the way, this is the very same reason why God told Joshua to exterminate the inhabitants of Canaan so that Israel would not learn from their wicked ways. Because God knows sin is highly infectious. What is sin? And someone once wrote this. Man calls it an accident, but God calls it an abomination. Man calls it merely a defect, but God calls it a disease. Man calls it an error, God calls it enmity. Man calls it a liberty to do whatever we like, but God calls it lawlessness. Man calls it a trifle, it's just a small thing, but God calls it a tragedy. Man calls it a mystic, but God calls it a madness. Man calls it a weakness, but God calls it willfulness. We deliberately choose to disobey. So make no mistake, sin is worse than cancer. When we have to deal ruthlessly with it and not ever let it breed. Last year, my daughter's preschool organized a very simple barbecue party and her classmate uh, bought a bottle of Yakult from the nearby provision shop. And when my daughter saw that, she also asked me to buy her one. And so I did. And after her friend finished drinking, she threw the empty bottle onto the ground and ran off. Her poor mother was there trying to ask her to pick it up you know, throw it away, but to no avail. So in the end, this poor mother had to pick up the empty bottle herself and throw it into the dustbin. Now, my daughter and I witnessed the entire scene. I saw my daughter looking at it. She saw it. I watched the entire scene myself. And so when my daughter finished her drink, she stopped for a while, and then she also threw the empty bottle onto the ground. In her mind, I think she was just trying to copy her friend. But I knew she hesitated a while because she knew that that was wrong. We've always taught her you have to throw away the trash, you know, in the trash bin. And so as she threw the bottle on the ground, she wanted to run off too. But before she ran off, she looked at me. <laughs> and I immediately stopped her and I said, No, Liz, you pick it up yourself and you throw it away. She stared at me again. I stood firm and I repeated myself, Pick it up and throw it away. 
Looking at her eyes, I know that she's asking deep down inside, why? Why can my friend do it? Why can't I do it? And so I stooped down to her eye level and I said, Liz, don't learn from your friend. This is wrong. You know that it is wrong. Your friend can do it because I am not her father. But I am your father. And for me, that's wrong. So pick it up and throw it away. Because I love you, I cannot let you do this. And with a bit of tears in her eyes, she picked up the bottle and she threw it away. And I said, good job, Liz. Well done. You did the right thing. We sang the song earlier many times over the chorus. We can see it in God's eyes. If you see the Father's eyes, you will see how terrible sin is. And because He is our Father, He will say to us, You cannot do it. Why can the world sin, but you cannot? Because I am your Father. I am your Father in heaven, and we cannot sin, because we are His beloved children. So friends, family, make no mistake. Although this is a very simple example, the reality is that one person's sin can infect an entire community. And so we have to deal with it as soon as it rears its ugly head, whether in us or in the people that we love. Someone once likened sin to the way an Eskimo kills a wolf. The account is a bit gross, grisly, but it offers fresh insight into the consuming this self-destructive nature of sin. First, the Eskimo will coat his knife blade with animal blood and allow it to freeze. Then he adds another layer of blood and another layer until the blade is completely concealed by frozen blood. Next, the hunter will fix this knife into the ground with the blade up. And when the wolf smells with his sensitive nose to this uh, knife, it begins to lick it, tasting the fresh frozen blood. And as he does it, he begins to lick it faster and faster, more and more vigorous, lapping the blade until the edge is bare. And feverishly now, harder and harder, the wolf will lick the blade in the Arctic night. And so great is his craving for blood that the wolf does not notice that the razor-sharp sting of the naked blade is on his own tongue. Nor does he recognize the instant at which his insatiable thirst is being satisfied by his own warm blood. His carnivorous appetite just craves for more and more and more until eventually he's dead in the snow. Sin is like that. Initially, it seems good, but at the end, it will consume us. And that is why God said, in the day that you sin, he told Adam, you will surely die. You will surely die. Only really by God's grace can we be kept away from the wolf's fate. And so again, in the name of God, I ask all of you this Good Friday, hear the word of God, the word of the Father. Stop sinning. And in case you're still not convinced how terribly powerful and wicked sin is, both to yourself and to others, I want to give you two, two reminders. Number one, the Christchurch killings. Remember the two consecutive terrorist attacks at the mosque in Christchurch, New Zealand, during the Friday prayer on 15th of March, 2019? The attacks killed 50 people and injured 50 others. Now, why would someone do something as horrendous as that? 
Surely someone has infected this man's mind with the wrong ideologies. And I'm pretty sure his mind wasn't infected in one day. Such horrendous acts have deep roots. Sin has completely corrupted his sense of right and wrong. So much so that the gunman even live-streamed the entire attack on Facebook. Without a doubt, his sin has affected thousands of people. In fact, an entire nation. Sin has consequences. The second example of how evil sin is and how utterly corrupt humanity has become because of sin is no other than the account of Jesus being mocked and crucified. If one man in the Christchurch killings is considered evil for killing a group of people, a group of people killing one man is pure evil at its worst. I'm not sure if you've ever been part of an occasion where a group of people actually turn against an individual especially in the heat of the moment. It's a very scary moment, moment of pure evil, an entire community calling for the blood of one man. The crowds repeatedly repeatedly shouted, Crucify him! Crucify him! The Roman soldiers mocked him. Aren't you the king of the Jews? Why can't you save yourself? They put a crown of thorns on him and they began to whip his back. And it was said that the Romans' uh, scourging whip had iron balls tight a few inches from the end of each leather tongue on the whip, and sometimes sharp sheep bones would also be tied near the ends. And so together, these metal weights caused serious bruising, and the leather of the tongs, of course, would cut into the skin, and then the deep sheep, uh, the sheep bones would deepen the lacerations into the skin. And after a few lashes, the depths of the cuts would reach into the deep muscle tissue. The physical effects of the beating went far beyond the considerable pain he inflicted. With his flesh torn into both sides, Jesus must have lost a lot of blood, even before carrying the cross. And then we know that Jesus was forced to carry the cross beam from inside the city to a location outside the city. And the cross beam weighed about 40 kilograms, 100 pounds. Can you imagine that? Even an ordinary healthy man will find it difficult to carry 40 kg. But Jesus, under that beaten state, had to carry this crossbeam from inside the city to a location outside the city. Plus, he had spent the night before in prison, being sent from one place to another. He did not sleep. His own people betrayed him emotionally. He's bruised. His own people shouted for him to be crucified. The very group of people who welcomed him just one week ago now shouted to condemn him, to crucify him. Imagine the betrayal and then being brutally scourged. And that's not the end. At the destination at Calvary, Jesus was stripped of his garments. You know, in most crucifixes, we see Jesus kind of naked, but there's still a loincloth. In reality, it's probably worse, a lot more humiliating. The Romans would typically humiliate a person by completely stripping them naked, fully naked on the cross. Then there were the nails. Iron nails that average five to seven inches in length were used to nail the arms of the condemned to the cross beams in the wrist, not on the palms, because the palms cannot hold the weight into the wrist. And then the victim was not able to breathe because of that position. And so in order to breathe, Jesus would have to push his own body up. Imagine the pain at multiple levels. 
the pressure on the nail wounds, on his arms and on his feet. In the, in the pain of rubbing those open wounds against the wood of the cross. You want to know how terrible sin is? That's how terrible sin is. Jesus on the cross. Sin put the perfect God on the cross. The pure evil of humanity sent Jesus to the cross. Sin crucified God. And that's why we must take it seriously. And in case you think to yourself, I will never do that, I will never crucify Jesus. Think again. As poet Alexander Solzhenitsyn correctly saw it, the line dividing good and evil does not cut between one human and another human being. No, it cuts across the heart of every single human being. And if we are truly honest with ourselves, we know deep inside how much we are capable of evil. If we are truly honest with ourselves, we recognize how wretched we are truly on the inside. If we were alive back then, we might well have joined the crowds in shouting, crucifying, crucifying. And so this Good Friday, I believe it is my duty as your pastor to warn you of these terrible effects of sin. One person's sin can affect an entire community. Don't ever think that your sin is just between you and God. No, it may start off that way, but it does not end that way. Secondly, one person's sin can infect an entire community. So we have to cut it off as soon as possible. In fact, as we have seen, sin is so evil that it literally crucified God himself. The cross is a picture of the worst any human being can do to another human being. Unimaginable. But that actually happened. So don't be deceived. Sin has terrible consequences. How then is Good Friday good? I deliberately chose the sermon title, The Defeat of AI, to play on the pun of the word uh, I. The defeat of AI in Joshua chapter 7 shows us how sin robs us of God's promises. Joshua's generation was supposed to defeat every enemy, inherit the promised land. But because of one man's sin, all of God's promises were thrown into doubt. In the same way, if we harbor sin in our hearts, like Achan did, it will lead to our destruction. We will never be able to fully walk in the promises of God's word. And here's the word play. You know, in the Chinese language, AI, the honey-peeing letters, mean the word, stand for the Chinese word, I, love. And at the cross, it seems love was defeated. Where the God of love is crucified, at the cross, it seems God's plan to rescue humanity completely failed. It seems on that cross, on that Good Friday, that God's Messiah had been utterly defeated. But the good news of Good Friday is that the cross is not only the worst man will do to another man, but also the best that God is willing to do for men. The cross is not only the worst man will do to other men, but also the best God is willing to do for us. The cross is a picture that God will never give up on humanity. In one act on the cross, God showed his belief that our world 
that people, you and I, can truly become better. He believed that sin can be overcome. Despite and in spite of our sin, Jesus died on Good Friday to show us the full extent of God's love and forgiveness. And for such a world, Jesus died. Not to condemn, but to redeem. Not to condemn, but to redeem. I just want to conclude today by saying that it is no coincidence that trouble began with the tribe of Judah, but trouble also ended with the tribe of Judah. Achan was from the tribe of Judah. Jesus, too, descended from the tribe of Judah. Achan died because of his own sin. Jesus died, too, because of sin, but not his own sin, but the sins of the world. Achan was put behind, or rather below, a pile of stones. Jesus put behind a stone. Many similarities, but also major differences. Achan caused an entire community to be cursed. But Jesus bore our curse so that an entire community would be blessed instead. Achan's name means trouble, but Jesus' name means God saves, Yahweh saves. And indeed, Jesus saves us from sin. He has paid the price of sin so that we will be set free. He took on the consequences of sin so that we don't have to. He bore the wrath of the Father so that we might become beloved children of God. Jesus paid the penalty of death that we might have life everlasting. Just as one man's sin affected and infected an entire community, so too one man's life and death can affect life, salvation and blessings for the entire community. To hear the full story of this second part of the story of I, come back on Easter Sunday, part two, the victory of AI, love, on Sunday. But for today, let's not rush into Easter Sunday. Let's take a moment to just take a serious look again at sin and ourselves. Let's deal with the sin today, before it's too late, before it consumes us and consumes even more people around us. This is part of the sermon series on the book of Joshua, Rest and Victory from the book of Joshua. And the key point is this. We cannot harbor sin, hide sins in our lives like Achan did and still hope to be victorious as a Christian. We can never fully walk into the promises of God, into God's full victory, as long as we keep hiding sin, harboring sins in our hearts. Today's word from God to us is this. Repent. Confess your sins to one another, to God, so that times of refreshing might come upon you. Repent. Confess your sins that times of refreshing might come upon you. The good news of Good Friday really is this, that the power of sin is broken because of the power of Jesus' blood. And that's why I preach to you a word I believe you can obey because of the power of Jesus' blood. We have that power to say no to sin and say yes to our Abba Father. Papa, I will listen to you. I will do what is right. Come, let us pray. I want to give us a couple of minutes of silence 
to do business with God, our own confessions before the Almighty God, to repent of our sins, to confess our sins, to see how our sins have crucified Jesus. Give you two minutes of silence just to do that. Father's eyes looking at us. I love you, my child. I really do. And I sent my son Jesus to demonstrate that I'm for you, not against you, and I love you. And because I love you, my child, you must know that sin has to be dealt with. Jesus has paid that price so that you don't have to but you must take responsibility for your own actions and thoughts. You must choose to obey the prompting of my Holy Spirit, the Word of God, to stop sinning and to live a pure, holy and blameless life. And I will give you, God says, my Holy Spirit, so that you may do so. So, Papa God, I thank you for your great rich promises to us in your word and for the gift of the Holy Spirit that we may truly live pure and holy lives, pleasing unto you, not just to please you, but so that truly we may have life eternal and not sin that leads to death. That's your Father's heart for us. So Lord, we receive it. We receive your love today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.